Imagine every child, no matter where in the world they were, could access a universe of knowledge. They would have a chance to learn, to dream, to achieve anything they want. I've tried to do it through my music, but now you can do it in a very different way. You can give a child a laptop, and more than imagine, you can change the world. Welcome to this week's From There with Fab. I'm Ed Chen. And I'm John Stone. The big news this week was, well, it was Record Store Day. John, what do you think about Record Store Day? Is it just an attempt to keep people coming into record stores? Or do you think there is actually something valuable in the record companies making these releases? Sometimes they've been putting out rare and unusual things. Yeah, I know they do. It can also just be seen as a cash grab. Yes, it is. And yes, it's fun. And for those people who participate, and as you said, there are some unique things put out. And so that's cool. A chance to get them. For this April, the unique thing we got was we got uh, a release of the Blind Man soundtrack. (laughs) There you go. So, I mean, that's something that a lot of people probably don't have in their collections, but it's also something that I would guess a lot of people aren't exactly running out and saying, I've got to have this. (laughs) Right. I mean, it's got a title song, but there's not much more interest on there, I don't believe. Well, the cover. (laughs) Yes. There's a record with Ringo's on the cover and Ringo from Blind Man. I mean, how many people have seen the film? You would expect that we would have gotten the film before someone would say, hey, let's put out the soundtrack. You would think. (laughs) Probably the seven people who saw the film have it. Hey, who doesn't want a film that not only features Ringo, but features Alan Klein? (laughs) Yeah. And how many people have co-starred with Alan Klein? Maybe as many as have obtained copies of the video. (laughs) I do actually have a copy 
Well, of course you do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's true. But I mean, as I talked about with Lonnie a couple weeks ago, you know, I was sitting in the theater with him and one of his friends and five other people for a screening of May Pang's movie. And that got a theatrical release. (laughs) Which means it didn't really make a whole lot of money. So beyond that, we got a 180 gram copy of Red Rose Speedway, which is nice if you want that, if you're one of the younger people who doesn't want to beat up vinyl copy. I didn't buy it because I have a really near mint copy of Red Rose Speedway, in addition to the one that I play, which is the box that came out a few years back. Again, the best thing for me about that was, in conjunction with that, they did put out the Atmos, the full surround mix on Apple Music. So we did get something new for me on that. Oh, good. And then the other things, we got Stop and Smell the Roses, both in vinyl and on CD, in limited copies, 500 each, which is, well, probably about the right number to be pressing up of those. <laughs> right. <laughs> How many colors did it come in? It was just one, and it was, I believe it was a red and white colored for roses, obviously. Right. The one nice thing is, say, they've gone back and they have re- jiggered these digital masters maybe that means that we're gonna get a box from ringo as they've been promising or threatening depending upon your point of view for yay these many years yes we've had these limited edition cd releases of old wave and stop and smell the roses and goodnight vienna and i mean you know the ringo box is is getting ready they've been tempting us with that and I think we'll probably get that this year, although this is turning out like two years ago. You know, we're we're into April and we haven't really heard much about what's going to come big release Beatle-wise this year. So, all right, when we started preparing this show, our topic for the week was going to be chat GPT and talking about AI and how it was going to replace us all on Facebook. But, well... The world turned around during that week, 10 days that we were throwing around ideas on this show. (laughs) Yes, it did. The world spins around. So what happened was during that period of time, we became aware of a program out of Hong Kong University called Diff SVC. The rather dry title of their publication is A Diffusion Probabilistic Model for Singing Voice Conversion. Yeah, that tells you exactly what's going on. <laughs> right. In parentheses, it said, fun, fun, fun. <laughs> and in, in addition, it's written by professors at Hong Kong University. Anyway, the first sentence is a little bit better description of what's actually going on. Singing voice conversion, SVC, is one promising technique which can enrich the way of human-computer interaction by endowing a computer the ability to produce high-fidelity, expressive singing voice. In this paper, we propose Diff SVC, an SVC system based on denoising diffusion probabilistic model, blah, 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 blah. Experiments show that Diff SVC can achieve superior conversion performance in terms of naturalness and voice similarity to current state-of-the-art SVC approaches. In other words, we've built this program. This program will allow computers to sing and sing in a naturalistic human voice. Yes. Again, while we were preparing this, uh, I was in the middle of recording the new edition of Toppermost of the Poppermost, which you will uh, have in front of you very soon. So 
Kit and Martin were very excited about talking about this. So, you know, we, we recorded and then it's like, this is as good as anything I'm going to get recording with John and John and I will talk about it on the other side. So (laughs) here's a bit of uh, Martin and Kit and I talking about some of this technology and some of the versions of things that have come out in that last few weeks. So we are joined by Kit and Martin, my co-host from Toppermost of the Poppermost. John has given us, has seeded his time for at least a little bit because, you know, this is such a big topic. Uh, The AI vocals that we're seeing that have really just started to come out recently. Yeah, it's just amazing how they've been popping up so much. I mean, in what, the past month or so well the, the tool the tool i mean the 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 good tool is really l- not even a month old uh, it was wow. a month ago that people started using them for for tiktok clips there was like uh, ariana grande and they put like harry styles with her so they created a duet wow so wow i didn't realize it was that new there have been tools around and i think the training sets have certainly been around for a little while they just kind of got updated but the good tool came out of hong kong university um, roughly a month six weeks ago so in that period of time there's the one that i mentioned the other notable one is a band called breezer had written more or less an entire album worth of oasis alike songs and once they were given the technology they went and they put an AI Liam Gallagher over their songs. The Oasis fans are saying this is better than anything from either Solo, Noel, or Liam. Jeez. Wow. So is, is this okay then for them to do that? Have they, has Liam said yes to this or, or, or does he need to? Or I mean, what's the legal thing of that? That's the question that I kind of have. On the Oasis side... Liam said he's heard it, and he he says that he sounds effing amazing on the record. <laughs> what he would so, say. So, I mean, he either actually or at least sort of he's not too upset with them doing this. Interesting. Makes a change uh, for Liam not to be offended by something. Yeah. <laughs> There's a record that has AI Drake and The Weeknd on top of it, and... <laughs> That's causing some stir legally, but they put it out and kind of pretended that it actually was Drake. Oh, which is mm. that, that's a little bit of a no, no. I would think so. 
So the record companies are kind of saying, we own all of the training sets, so you can't do this. But you've released them, you know? Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I just don't know. I mean, I, when I, I'm thinking about it as an artist, if somebody did that with my voice, without my permission, to alter my voice like that, I, I, I don't know how I'd feel about it. Just, there's just something really creepy about it to me. I mean, I, I just don't know if I, I would like it as, as an artist, somebody altering my voice like that and creating a new song out of it or something like that. I, I don't know. I have great reservations about it. Where do you stop? You have to admit, Kit, that you're ever so slightly the Luddite. I know. <laughs> when it comes to this. You were creeped out by what Paul actually did in the video for Find My Way. Yes, I was. I will admit that creeped me out. <laughs> it really did. <laughs> to bring this around to the Beatles, people are starting to use a trained Paul McCartney voice, although there is now a Lennon Harrison and Ringo voice to accompany it. Some of the first ones, as people were just learning how to use the tools, aren't that great. There's like a a daydream believer where they have AI'd Paul over Davy Jones. I haven't heard that one. What number is this, Jim? Seven. Okay, not really. Don't be excited. I caught high beat the wind of the bluebird as she sings. Six o'clock, oh love, would never leave. Put it me, and I ran, wiped the sleep out of mine. Shaven razors cold and distinct. It's not so great. The phrasing is the original Davy Jones phrasing. It sounds like Davy Jones singing like Paul McCartney is what it sounds like. <laughs> it sounds like the Monkees record, except it's kind of got Paul's vocal, but it's still very much the highs and the lows. The way it is sung and the phrasing is the original Davy Jones phrasing. Yeah, I don't see the point in that. It's fun and as a fan tool, I can see that. Beyond that, they've also started doing things like having Paul sing Another Day. Not his Another Day, but Another Day from the Ruddles, which is, again, not all that good, but it's cute. At times like these, an enemies can number more than friends. A friend indeed is what I need, not someone who pretends. I'm on my way, I cannot stay another day. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, are we going to eventually get AI Paul doing an album of John songs and then AI John doing an album of Paul songs? Well, that's what people are starting to do. There's also like a duet of Imagine, which is, again, not so great. You may say I'm a dreamer. But I'm not the only one I hope someday you join us And the world will witness one I don't like that at all. I just think it's just not real. So the 
other side of that is there are some very good ones out there. There's a, a foreign song which a fella has put Paul's voice on. While it's not absolutely perfect, you can still hear some of the seams. Yeah. It's a lot closer to an actual performance than you might ever really think. I mean, there are definitely some points, as you said, where you can hear some of the, I like how you put that, the seams. Here <laughs> you can hear it. It, uh, it sounds like him. But again, I guess I don't really, you know, see the point of that. Now, if we're talking about, if you went back to like Free as a Bird and you wanted to maybe work with maybe improving john's vocals you could ai john's vocal over the demo vocal of john yeah to maybe improve the sound you know if you're talking about improving sound maybe i would be more open to that it's What if they took the Stowe School or what if they took the Hamburg tape and, you know, we've got a decent version of the backing. What if they put AI vocals over that to improve the quality of the Hamburg tape and really make that studio quality? Would Mm. that kind of be too weird for you? You're kind of trying to recreate history or well not just recreate you're sort of toying around with history and i don't know i mean i just think i'd rather have peter jackson go in there and and try to work with what's there that is also really just another form of ai you know the mal technology has these sort of gaps when you demix the tape and it puts ai in there to fill in those gaps i guess if it isn't really obvious and if it's just in there to fill in some gaps i just would not want a full all ai you know to say all right let's remove all of the original vocals that i would agree with and and you can't i mean you know like as i was saying with that daydream believer clip the performance is really still in the original version Mm -hmm. that's underneath and you're just kind of layering on a new vocal in the style of how it was performed by the original artist yeah it just bothers me to just completely somehow remove the original artist and then create this artificial version of the artist that really bothers me i don't know martin help me out It's like Elvis Presley. You could do an entire album of modern songs sung by Elvis Presley, and I'm not really sure how I feel about that, really. Right. I, I mean, from, from Kit, Kit's point of view, as well, I mean, an artist that we both love, the Michael Jackson estate could do exactly the same thing with Michael, and the Prince estate could do it with Prince. Not that they need to. There's more Prince outtakes than there are. Yeah. <laughs> than there are albums that are out there. 
that's a good example. Trying to create a new Michael Jackson album using AI generated vocal. I think that'd be wrong. I think we're not there yet, but in two or three years or in five years for sure, it may be the end of what we know is real or is not real. And so related to that, the other thing that people are using this trained McCartney for is to make Paul sound younger. In particular, there is a a My Valentine and there is an absolutely stunning version of I Don't Know from Egypt Mm -hmm. Station. It's like, I like it, but I do have some of the same reservations that you do. And and I, I have to kind of wonder how Paul thinks about it. I'm sure somebody has passed this along to him. That's a really good question is, you know, what would he think of this to say, you know, well, we've altered your voice because, you know, you since your voice is affected by age now. So we've we've altered it so that you sound like you did in 1971 or, you know, whatever the case may be. Uh, I don't know. Sometimes technology can go too far. And, I, and I can that. also see it going the other way. I can see mm-hmm. Paul going, great. Mm-hmm. Now I can lay down a vocal track and then we can AI over it and it will still be me performing, but it will sound like I really want people to hear me sounding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then it won't work when he goes and does it live. First off, is Paul ever going to go live again? We don't know. Mm-hmm. And second off, the technology will be there that you can do it in just about real time. Going out to a stadium full of people is not really real time anyway. It's going out and then it's echoing off of walls and that's what people were hearing. So I could see that it could be something that people could do in a live arena. I guess the real question is, is this just going to become like autotune? Oh, you uh, you can't see me, obviously, but I'm I'm like squirming in my seat right now. (laughs) You're thinking of Ringo's attempts with it, aren't you, with the (laughs) auto-tune? To be honest, I would rather have AI Ringo than auto-tune Ringo, and Ringo does not put anything out without at least some auto-tune on it these days. Mm -hmm. Auto-tune, I mean, that's, of course, a whole other subject, but I just think it's sort of a good point because that's another issue is AI would also kind of eliminate it, it could eliminate the need for real talent. I mean, you know, you could use AI to fix anything, you know, I mean, you could say, all right, I can just lay down a vocal and sound terrible, but we'll just fix it in AI, you know, we'll just change it. Well, but with what we have now, you can't really do that. Not Either now. Th- If you've got a crap vocal, the AI version is going to come out as a crap vocal. Right, but in the future... That is a real question. And I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people say we're already there. Yeah, and that I think is another concern that I think you still have to have talent. (laughs) I I agree. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and that bothers me that you know, that could be in the future that we could have just artists who rely on AI. If you're to that point, then who needs the artist? Right. Yeah, precisely. You just let the AI do all of it, which... Exactly. That's what I'm afraid of. Probably not for us, but 
in 20 years time and 50 years time if there are still charts for people to be looking at mm-hmm. you know there are going to be some of those on there I'm still squirming <laughs> <laughs> my opinion is I don't mind again as long as it's with the artist's permission if Paul wants to go out and make an album and AI some or even all of his younger sounding vocals over the vocal track, that's fine. If somebody else does it, you know, novelty things, covers that never existed, eh, okay. I mean, that doesn't bother me because you kind of know going in, okay, this is a fantasy. But it's when other people do things that I don't know to me serves as a proof of concept, but I'm not really happy if people just start doing it. And even if it's good, it's like... Well, that's got to be a little bit weird for Paul. Yeah. If I were the artist, I would not be happy, for sure. We're never going to get the Beatles back together. And if someone who is capable of writing songs and putting their voices on it, it'd be hard to say, that's a great song, and it sounds like them. It'd be hard to say, oh, well, but it's fake. I mean, it is fake, but I don't know. Hmm. All right, so before we head back in uh, to John Stoneland, um, you got anything more to say, um, Martin? Um, I'm going to do a bit of self-promotion here. If anybody wants to know, uh, I know some really good AI uh, podcast. If they want to know about those, just give me a shout on on any of the socials, uh, pods like us. Thank you, Martin. Thank you, Kit. You know, this is an interesting topic and it's not going anywhere. God help us. <laughs> Whether we like it or not, we're going to have to deal with this into the future. I honestly really do kind of hope that Paul chooses to write songs that are appropriate for using the AI technology. I mean, you know, if John Lennon were still with us, he'd be all over this stuff. Mm-hmm. He never liked his own voice. If he could get a perfect version of his own voice, it's like, oh, wow, let's do that. Yep. Yeah, you're probably right. Computers singing, particularly computers singing in other people's voices. As a musician, what do you think of that? Kit was there saying that she found it kind of freaky. Is it scary? Is it going to put all of us out of business or what? Oh, no, no, no. It won't put people out of business, I don't think. But there are going to be some people who are going to use it in an incredibly creative way. And then there's everybody else. It's like auto-tuning for that matter. As we mentioned, there was a band called Breezer, which 
what they claimed was, oh, well, we got tired of waiting for the new Oasis album. And they went and they wrote and recorded very Oasis-like songs, and then they put A.I. Liam over it. <laughs> that gets a little creepy in a way. you know. Well, but the Oasis fans are like, wait a minute, this is better than anything that Noel and Liam have put out. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. What does that mean to you as someone who has made a pretty good living as a performer you do your art and i'm sure there's some connection between that and tribute bands who attempt to sound like the people they're honoring but to create a piece of work and then put somebody else's voices on top of it is odd to me don't want to use the word creepy but kit did I don't know if it's creepy, but as they say, 90% of everything is crap. A lot of what people have done in this kind of rush of the first wave really is like, if not, I won't say awful, but it's amusing. Yes. I mean, it is interesting, you know, but you kind of go, well, are we at some point going to get a version of L.S. Bumblebee with John and Paul singing on it? I'm on my way, I cannot stay another day You're such a pain, must I explain my every meaning to you It's such a drag to way you nag at me And make me feel blue I'm on my way, I cannot stay another day You're so pusillanimous, so yeah There's a lot of it that I've heard so far that you go, well, yeah, well, that little phrase sounds like that person, but that little phrase doesn't. And so the whole thing sounds weird to the ear to me. The more successful ones seem to be when they're putting a a different version of a person's voice over their current voice. The one that is like scary good to me is uh, there's a version of, I don't know where they have AI young paul you know i would say late wings early solo over it and the tug of war paul (laughs) between tug of war and flowers and the dirt and it's good it sounds like young paul singing this song yeah Gosh, I'm thinking that's not what he intended. He's got this song. He he wrote it. It works for his voice as it is at the time. And and I have to admit, I'm one of those people who are like, I didn't like to see people do duets with dead people. Nat King Cole and Natalie Cole. I never liked that sort of thing. And I mean, at least with that, they had the original studio recording. And I mean, of course, they've been doing that going well back into the 50s. I mean, that's one of the first things they did with Buddy Holly was they went and got the fireballs and made studio versions of demo, whatever they had from the Clovis tapes. Yeah, never 
feel like the record companies are going to make as much as they possibly can out of the product. Going down that track for a minute, someone has also AI'd a studio or near studio quality version of John Lennon over the real love demo that John gave to the other Beatles. Would that be kind of creepy if they redid real love with that version of the vocal? Hard to say. The treatment they gave to it really brought out a lot of nuance in that vocal. But was the nuance John or the artificial intelligence? I think we may care about that nuance a little bit more than the record-buying public does. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) They're going to like what they like. And as time goes on, there'll be more and more treatment of things with this technology. And maybe that'll be what people remember. I mean, does this kind of just become a filter? And our artists and the record company, Bruce Springsteen is selling off his whole catalog. So, okay, are they going to say, okay, here is our official AI training set for Bruce Springsteen. Springsteen. You can release whatever you want to release from it. You have to credit it and you have to say, you know, in the style of Bruce Springsteen. That's the way to make money off of it. You know, one of the things I notice on Sirius Beatles radio, you never know what version they're playing you. They don't tell you the differences as far as what's being shown on here. They do indicate which version you're listening to on the This is the Isha version. This is the wide album outtake. This is this and this is that. But as far as the station goes, it's just like, oh, here's an alternate version of Eleanor Rigby. Right. It sounds like what you're saying is you're kind of against the wholesale creation of new material, but the idea of using it to improve, let's take the Star Club. If you can use the BBC and use like Please Please Me and with the Beatles as training sets and generate near studio quality vocals on top of that, which are obviously more or less a reproduction of the version that's on the record. Is that something that would be interesting to hear? I guess you have to get down to what is it you're listening to? You know, you're, you're listening to all of the qualifier words you use to describe that vocal. You know, it's kind of close, sort of, but it's not it. It's a recreation. Well, but I mean, there are producers right now who will like their drummers do their version of it and they will replace every single drum hit. They just have this big bank of the drum hits and and that's current technology. For sure. What does that mean? And how is that any different than what we're kind of talking about? At some point is everything pliable? Does the artist ever create anything or is it just pieces and then people will play with it forever? As a money-making venture, that's obviously something that the record companies want, as long as they're the ones making the money. (laughs) Right. We started off the show talking about Record Store Day. Record Store Day is certainly a way for them to continue to make money, but that's not the big money. That's not the money that they really want to be making. How are they going to entice the next generation and the generation after that to go back and start looking at music from the past well there's the question i mean not everybody could be taylor swift (laughs) constantly redo their catalog and then the big question for me is you know what if mccartney sees this technology and he kind of goes 
yeah, I want to write some more songs for my voice from the 70s or even <laughs> from the Beatle voice. Maybe you could go to like a musical equipment store and just get, I'd like McCartney from 67. And can you give me a little bit of um, Roger McGuinn? <laughs> there you go. Is that legitimate or is that not legitimate? It, when you're using it to create original material, when the artists themselves are using it to create original material. <laughs> you're going to have to figure out a way to monetize it so that McGuinn gets a piece of that action. You're going to use a, my voice. You got to pay me. Obviously, in the case of McCartney, if he were to put out a record with his Beatle voice on it, here's a record of all new songs written by me, but sung by, you know, Revolver Me. <laughs> I'd buy it. <laughs> yeah, because McCartney put it out. But I guess we're talking about, you know, the ability to play with things forever. It becomes like Futurama, where it's not heads in jars, but it's AI versions of you being able to do everything you could do. Right. They've already got the speaking voice stuff down. There's a scary, accurate John Lennon speaking commercial for the one laptop for every child. And it's like, yeah, I could believe that, you know, if I didn't know what I actually know. It's an interesting question. It's certainly one that we're going to have to wrestle with into the future. Tying that with visual deep fakery, you're going to be able to create a lot of stuff. Obviously, McCartney did not shy away from the deep fakes. You know, he he went whole hog with the Find My Way video, and it's like, okay, all right. Yeah. And that's kind of the same thing. It's like, I'm no dancer, but sure, I'll bring in a dancer and put my face on this dancer. The only reason it looks a little bit weird is because the technology is not quite good enough yet. Right. That's the freaky thing about this technology. This is new technology. This is, at this point, maybe a month, six weeks. Well, okay, forms of this technology have existed for years. But in a good version, in one that you can train and actually get output, which can be mixed in a reasonable fashion, that's six weeks old. Right. And in... Not 10 years, but even just two or three years from now, when people have really learned to put their hands around these tools and actually do mixing for them where the seams kind of all get hidden and then the mixes can be made, <sighs> the end of knowing what is real and what is not, at least from an audio perspective, may well be here then. <laughs> right we're coming darn close with photoshop we're to the point where you really have to go down to the pixel level to be able to look and say these pixels don't blend correctly and would not occur that way in a natural photograph or this shadow was clearly added on in post yeah. i didn't think we'd be here quite this soon in terms of audio and certainly not in terms of singing right all we're waiting for now is the the big scandal, something to happen, and then it'll everyone will freak out. That's already started to happen. Somebody put out an anonymous song with the voice of Drake and the weekend backing, and they didn't say who it was, and they have since fessed up and they're getting sued. It's like, well, uh, you didn't ask permission to do this, and you didn't say it wasn't us. And I think that's a valid lawsuit, actually. 
for sure, proprietary rights are going to be one of the big issues of this century because of the way it's exploded. Beetle-wise, I think some things could be done with it. Some things that are valid. Again, as long as you tell us this is what you're doing. Don't try and hide anything. Although, as I had mentioned to you, the whole business of demixing and Mal is, to a certain extent, an AI exercise. Because you cannot absolutely pull out the individual frequencies of a cowbell and a tambourine being hit at the same time. You're pulling out what you can that is distinct to each instrument, and you're letting AI fill in the rest of the bits. Which is the whole thing with AI is that it's full of assumption, (laughs) predictable assumption, but still filling in gaps. We all love what they've done with Mal and what Giles Martin can then do. I mean, sure. It's the fact that given the limitations of the stems, it's still all about putting them back together and mixing them in a way that is pleasing to the ear. But the vocals, you can maybe get closer to having all uh, of the original vocals separate but two guitars or two guitars and a bass that are all on one track together you can't really separate those out completely it's you know what those instruments sound like you know what each note on those instruments sound like and what the sustain is like but is that necessarily 100 percent what it was like that day in the studio well maybe not right you can't tell what I want, kind of want to say about this is you have to realize what you're listening to. And, you know, that goes for the surround mix of Revolver, and that goes for anything that you may hear these days is, okay, this is not real, but it is a representation, and whether you like or don't like that representation is up to your own individual ears. Right. And when you approached it in your life. <laughs> the younger people are going to be much less resistant to this technology. Right. It won't have the same meaning or weight because that's just not the way it is. The word is verisimilitude, I think. <laughs> There's one of those five-cent words for you. Right. Right out of help. <laughs> Before we leave this, and I'm sure we will come back to this in in many ways as we start hearing some of these additional tracks that people come up with, which just will become better and better sooner than we think. Right. I think for a while, the novelty of it will be the very issue, the very thing that people pay attention to. Later on, it becomes the way things are and nobody pays any attention. Now back to what we had kind of originally started as our topic, which is also about AI. The other use of AI that's been in the news a lot recently is chat GPT and lots of people using it to do things like write term papers. Right. Again, not so much for you or I, but for Isaac, that's going to be a real, both a (laughs) temptation and a question going into the future. Yes. I'm sure it will be outlawed soon. (laughs) For my generation, it was, oh, the calculator is going to mean that you can't do arithmetic anymore. And for some people, that's certainly the truth. But nowadays it's like taking the SAT. Okay, sure. Make sure you have your calculator with you. Right. So what we kind of decided to do was to ask ChatGPT to do our job and come up with some topics. The the question that uh, I fed to ChatGPT 
was provide some common misbeliefs about the Beatles. Let's see how good it did and kind of what we think about the answers that chat GPT gave us. Yes. The first statement it came back with is the Beatles were all about peace and love. While the Beatles did promote peace and love, particularly during the later years of their career, they were not always the poster boys for these values. Some of their early music had darker themes and their personal lives were not always free of conflict. That's actually not a terrible answer. It's a little bit simplistic. Yeah. And as a group, the focus on peace was probably more John's thing for a while. At the end, with Paul and let it be and that sort of thing it came into it but it was just one of the the parts of their career it wasn't them at all you know they were kind of a, a naughty act in the beginning in a way you know well i mean the, the whole bit about the hair and now granted as we've gone on in time it was oh the stones were the bad boys and then there were the beatles but this is a sort of nuance that ai doesn't quite understand yeah you give that answer to a first grader and that might be okay. You know, but by the time you get to middle school, you need to start thinking beyond just what it's saying. As you said, the early years were really not all about peace and love. It was love, boy, girl love, but the Beatles were kind of a dangerous thing, certainly to a lot of middle America in 1964, 1965, and 1966. Goodness knows by the time of bigger than Jesus, they certainly weren't talking about peace and love. Right. I can remember conversations amongst friends about Day Tripper. They may be saying big teaser, but that's not really what you heard. It's particularly with the, you know, she's a prick teaser. She took me half the way there and was like, wow, that's on the radio. Well, and Time Magazine, you know, songs about lesbians and prostitutes. <laughs> right. Even Please Please Me. Around that time of Day Tripper, I kind of, as a kid, kind of went, and you know, Please Please Me is kind of naughty too. In, in its own way. And well, I mean, as as we've discussed on many occasions, Penny Lane was its own thing. Right. Let's see, number two. The Beatles were a boy band. The Beatles were initially marketed as a boy band, but they quickly outgrew this label. They were innovative and experimental, constantly pushing the boundaries of what was possible in popular music. That's actually a pretty good answer, I think. Well, yes, but part of their marketing as a boy band was that they weren't like all the other clean-cut, pompadoured rock and roll boys. They looked different. They were much more fashionable, but they also smoked and they drank scotch and Coke. And and that was known. Well, you and, know? you know, Hard Day's Night is really not a film about a boy band. <laughs> right. There, there's bits and pieces of that woven into the film, but it's almost like that's them. That's That's our stage act. Yeah. The real guys are not kind of being presented as this boy band in that film. Right. You know, they, they always had a certain integrity about their personas. They weren't going to be that typical rock and roll Fabian Cliff Richard thing. Look at Billy J. Kramer and look at Jerry and the Pacemakers. 
all Liverpool acts, but the Beatles were not just musically a step above, but the personalities and what they were being presented to the world. Jerry really was kind of a boy band. Right. As opposed to Hard Day's Night, you watch Ferry Cross the Mersey. Ferry Cross the Mersey is a film about a boy band. (laughs) Yeah. Here is a weird one where it looks like ChatGPT came up with something that, well, I'm not quite sure of. The Beatles were all from Liverpool. While John, Paul, George, and Ringo all grew up in Liverpool, they had diverse backgrounds and influences. George Harrison, for example, was of Indian descent and was influenced by Indian music. George Harrison was of Indian descent? Nah, not that I no. know of. Stig O'Hara. Here is a case where, <laughs> while the statement is okay, there's a pretty big factual error there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> That's kind of funny when I read that. It's like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. As far as the statement, there's a good first sentence, except for the part of George Harrison being Indian, for an essay someone might be writing. <laughs> you know, if you're taking a class, a musicology class, you might start with that. And then, of course, you know, that would lead into what was unique about Liverpool and comedians and the clubs and, you know, the whole business of how they then grew to become what they were from not just the rock and roll musical backgrounds, but from the musical backgrounds of growing up where they were, or as Paul put it, you know, being born in Liverpool. Well, in regards to George Harrison's Indian descent, the footnote should read, see Mona Best. (laughs) Of all the things we've had from chat gpt so far this is the first one that's really kind of a solid (laughs) miss everything else is like okay here's a decent way to start things and you haven't made any big mistakes right probably the single most common misconception that anybody would eventually go to the beatles broke up because of yoko ono while yoko ono is often blamed for the beatles breakup the truth is more complicated the band members have been growing apart for some time and there were tensions between them long before Yoko came into the picture. Now, it kind of sounds like ChatGPT may have just Googled something. <laughs> right. Right. That does sound like a, a homework assignment. It doesn't sound like it actually put pieces together from a bunch of different websites talking about how Yoko Ono broke up the Beatles. I mean, it, it's not bad, but that's kind of very simplistic and very much. Here's the first couple lines out of the Wikipedia page on Did Yoko Ono break up the Beatles? I mean, of course, that is a topic which will take many, 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 many shows or a nearly thousand page book as Madeline Beccaro demonstrated to us. All right. One more from ChatGPT and then a couple that were actually human generated just to kind of show (laughs) the difference between uh, what I think with hopefully more knowledge than ChatGPT. Number 10 here. The Beatles were all friends. While the Beatles were close at times, they were also competitive and had their fair share of disagreements. Their relationships with each other were complex and evolved over time. Again, that sounds kind of like, here's is your thesis. Now go write the essay. (laughs) Right. As far as its statement, they were competitive. I think the accepted statement about their relationship is that they were pretty much all friends i mean they were this four-headed monster at least through magical mystery tour kind of right. post sergeant 
over is when they kind of started to go their own ways. But that doesn't mean that they weren't friends, that they didn't share a close relationship. The last sentence to me is just like, oh, please, you know, their relationship with each other were complex and evolved over time. You think? <laughs> they were in this big fishbowl. They they shared their celebrity. It may be the thing that kept them sane during all of it, but the uniqueness of it had to have affected how they related to each other, how they related to the world. But they only were able to stay together for as long as they did in that goldfish bowl because they were friends. And it's totally lucky that Ringo got into that role. He joined the band and boom, they're off. It certainly wouldn't have happened in quite the same way had it been anybody else. I mean, you know, if they had still let Pete go and had gone with Tommy Moore. Tommy well, Moore is their new drummer. He, he's the fourth, and he looks the part, and he's a good-looking kid. Okay, and he can play the drums, maybe not as well as Ringo. That's going to be a very different Beatles story. For sure. Or what if they would have gotten Shimmy Nickel, the, the joke and Get Back, where they said he two, three, boom, and it goes right into it, you know? That just wouldn't have been the same. They wouldn't have gotten along with that guy for any length of time. Paul would have hated that. (laughs) (laughs) Then we have Getting Better Part 2 and Getting Better Part 3 and Getting Better Part (laughs) 4. Right. John goes, it looks like it could get pretty worse. Of course, even if Jimmy Nichols stuck around, he wouldn't have stuck around very long because he could never stay in one band for more than a year or two. Yeah, well. And what is it? Recently, we were reading something from Ringo where he's saying that eight years is a long time to be in a band. And I mean, you'll say the same thing. Yeah. Oh, for sure. That no matter what your personality quirks, and really no matter how close you are as friends, I mean, one only need look at Oasis. These guys are brothers. And well. Yeah, and you're talking about Oasis like it's those two guys, which in a way it was, but it's actually a band. Oasis really is a case where the other two just kept coming and going. Right. You think about something like that, that really does make you admire or say, why in the world is you two still together? (laughs) Right. Because that really is just those four guys. They have not changed any members of that band from the time that they were all, all just kids. They're still making quality music. Whether you like it or not is a different matter. Right. And they all go to the same church. (laughs) <laughs> here's a couple that that i wrote just to prove that yes humans can do this too and we have some different opinions here based upon what you told me the first one is the kennedy assassination played a significant role in the success of the beatles in the united states in early 1964 i will say it played a role but i don't know how significant it was i mean you were there i wasn't but the old trope about, oh, the states were looking for something happy, and he, this story came along at just the right time. It's also kind of a ball rolling downhill. True, they didn't make it in 63, but the songs were not out there and weren't being pushed by a major label. Capital had said no. Capital of Canada released Love Me Do, Please Please Me, For Me To You, and they also didn't do anything until 64, so... Well, you know, there are so many things about this that fall into place, which 
Mark Lewison will say over and over again, the fact that I want to hold your hand, which was the song that broke it, was their first in four track. It was aimed, so to speak, at a new sound. And so the country was broken (laughs) because we had this young president who was murdered and then the funeral was traumatic. John John saluting. Yeah, and Jack Ruby being shot on TV. And it just seemed to me at the time, and I know it's all people's perspective, but oh my gosh, the the Christmas season was just a few weeks later was so not shiny and bright. And then I Want to Hold Your Hand was on the radio, and it didn't sound like anything else. Uh, And so... I think the moroseness of the country definitely had an impact uh, the way they hit, like it was uh, a lifeline. Well, and then why didn't something come out of 9-11? I mean, you know, while there's not ever going to be anything comparable, that was certainly, I would say, the second biggest challenge that the United States has had as a country. I don't really know how to explain it, except maybe... You know, what came out of 9-11 was anger. And there wasn't any anger after Kennedy's assassination at all. So maybe that's part of it as far as why it didn't happen. And there weren't any good songs, you know. (laughs) I mean, who wrote the the anthem? The anthems which came out post 9-11 were were all these sort of vaguely country-tinged things that were full of nationalism and jingoism. Yeah, Toby Keith and that sort of thing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and dare I say it, Paul McCartney and Freedom. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> nobody was up to the challenge. <laughs> Answer goes to John because he was there. But <laughs> from the perspective of someone who wasn't there, it just seems kind of overstated. It's certainly a little bit simplistic. The Canadians caught on just ever so slightly before we did. Capital of Canada put out all those early singles. They didn't hit, but then there was She Loves You, and that would launch Beatlemania in Canada. But you also have to go back to, you know, the Beatles were not in Paris thinking, can't wait to get to Canada. This is true. The United States was the one, so there are just so many different reasons inexplicable reasons why it worked the way it did in my recollection certainly the kennedy assassination had something to do with with the onset of beatlemania with the explosion yeah ed sullivan was the right person and at the right place in the right time yeah well which brings us to let's end with this one again for me ed sullivan booked the beatles based upon his visit to the uk because of heathrow october 31st 1963 so he likes to tell that story i mean we know that's not true we know that it played a role that he was at the airport on a very busy day at heathrow and one of the three things that was happening you did indeed have the prime minister returning but you had the beatles returning from sweden and that's why there were these mobs of kids there but sullivan was already looking to book the beatles on the show in early 1964 he had had people who knew about them and his bookers were already talking to brian at that point he was a pro the beatles in the british press had exploded 
and surely had to have some impact. But the fact that he was there and the airport was mobbed certainly is a great story. I, again, I don't deny that it plays a role in Sullivan coming to the final, yes, we're absolutely going to have to book these guys, but it was already in place to uh, try and get them over to America early in 64. Right. It's, it wasn't just the way Ed Sullivan liked to tell the story. Oh, oh, I was there, and it's like, what's happening here? Oh, is the queen coming in? And it's like... Then it's it's these guys, the Beatles, and oh, I never heard of them. And it's like, well, we got to book them right now. It's like, okay, it's a good story. And that's kind of mostly what it is. Yeah, with truth in it, for sure. But so, that's basically what it is. What have we learned? We have learned that ChatGBT and AI is capable of at least – coming up with some reasonable questions they they do seem to be pretty surface level though yeah but it's early again it's early i mean it's the same thing we were talking about with regards to the voice technology in two or three years we won't have to do this show we'll just let the ai both write it and record it and put it out there for everyone to hear and we'll just go how was it you know exactly i hope it makes me you know smarter than i really am so (laughs) The interesting thing is, I still remember, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, it was Roger Ebert when they had to uh, remove his jaw from the cancer, and it was like, we've got a plenty large sample size of you talking, and they kind of, sort of were able to recreate his voice, now they could do it like that. Giles could remix him. (laughs) And Giles could remix him. You know, for that matter, Stephen Hawking, Stephen Hawking had to live with that roboticized voice although they probably didn't have enough samples recorded samples of him to generate his real voice (laughs) we've been at this now for a year someone really that's plenty enough of a training set for someone to take and generate fake version of us (laughs) right (laughs) there'll be huge files of me going right All right, that's our thoughts on AI. Thanks, Kit and Martin, for letting us use that little snippet from our chat, which wasn't originally intended to be part of a podcast, but it was too good to leave on the floor. Um, they do know about it, right? They do indeed. We're we're not using their voice without their permission. <laughs> good, good, because lawsuits are flying these days. <laughs> and John and I will be back with a new show next week. Adios. Subscribe to When They Was Fab on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group, and we could be reached at When They Was Fab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by Jay Young Kim, Beaster Famine Studios, San Francisco, California.
God only knows what I'd be without. And you. I tell you one thing, there's sickness going on and there's some good people doing work in hospitals but they got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people, but they're, they're scraping the barrel for funds to keep going. Turned up nice again. 